was a bona fide scrub. He can't play. Walker fires downfield, looking for DJ Moore. Oh, oh my God. God. It's a diving catch for a Panthers touchdown. Be a dog. Tyburn takes the right corner three. That's off. CJ Hunley with the pump. Oh. And he puts it in at the buzzer. Oh, it's caught by Christian Horn. Sports Wrap on 90.5 WASU. Good evening and welcome back to Sports Wrap on 90.5 WASU. The App FM, it's been a huge weekend in sports leading up to this show. Huge games in App State basketball and, of course, the Super Bowl. We'll be talking about all of it over the next hour. I'm Cody Bear, joined by Hunter Boston, Bobby Phillips, and Nick Goodman. Fellas, how are we this evening? I am doing swell. You know, I wasn't very happy with the Super Bowl result on Sunday, but we're back in the swing of things this week, have a little bit more of a packed schedule going into this week, so just trying to stay on top of all of it, but I'm doing good. Yeah, I'm feeling good also. You know, I'm just, I am happy that the Super Bowl was a good game and all that. I've the app Toledo game we'll talk about later was crazy. Uh, you know, today as a whole, I mean, it is kind of gross outside. Like the, especially throughout the day, trying to walk to class, like that was uh, something else having to get through the wind. But I'm looking forward to it, and I'm looking forward to a couple of App State basketball games coming up. I'm looking forward to do some good to do courtside for basketball against Marshall. You know, looking forward to this week. I'm so sore, guys. <laughs> I, I, am, I am so sore right now. For for those that don't know, and most of you listening probably don't know because you're not a part of the sports department, but um, played some basketball yesterday with the guys, showed up after our staff mm-hmm. meeting, played for like two hours, and mm-hmm. you know, I'm not used to playing basketball like that. For all two the hours time. straight, yeah. All right. And then me and Bobby across the table from me decide, you know what, we're going to start running on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And I looked at Bobby last night and I said, are we still running tomorrow? He said, yeah, well, of course we're running tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> you so, got to yeah. stay locked in. So you got to stay locked in. I played two hours worth of basketball last night, and then I ran two miles this morning at the SRC. So I'm a little sore, but you know what? I'm, I'm super excited to be talking some sports. Super Bowl was great. I mean, a great game. Usher performed at halftime, and then it was a great game. And then, so yeah, just happy to be talking some yeah. sports. Absolute hustler on the court. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. grabbed. Rebound I machine. My stat line had to be like, maybe scratched five points out of, like, six games. But I probably but, grabbed 30 boards. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I, I, take, I take pride in that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Went crazy. If you ever question our ball knowledge saying they didn't play, yes, we did. We do. Yeah. <laughs> we every Monday, actually. Yeah, yeah. Well, y'all just got to see me shoot. That's all I got Yeah, say. Nick yeah, is yeah, kind of yeah. lethal. A.K.A. Steph Curry from three-point range. Yeah, we were playing a game last night, and we were running threes. A couple people left, but we put up three. We were 3v3, and the team was... Me, Nick, and Hunter, and oh. somebody called Nick Steph Curry, and then Hunter looked at me and he says, "Oh, then you're probably Clay Thompson because yeah. I was knocking down some threes. I was like, I guess that makes you Draymond Green. That's right. So it all kind of worked the out. Perfect so. pairing. Yeah. yeah, it really was. Draymond's your player, comp? I'll take that. I would I say mean, more Dennis Rodman. I mean, I don't like the kicking people and the slapping people, but I'm Draymond yeah. without you know the violence. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we'll take it. We'll take it. All right, we got a we got a big show coming up, so we we're gonna go ahead and get ready to discuss. But before we do our discussion, it is time for your Mountaineer minute. Let's break it open. The women's softball team got their season started with some tough games at the Elon Softball Classic. They took losses to Elon and Miami of Ohio on Friday and Saturday, and their Sunday match was unfortunately canceled. On Saturday, App State women's basketball got a big-time win on the road against Western Michigan, 78-68. There were four double-digit scores for the Mountaineers, Emily Carver, Faith Austin, Zeta Porter, and Shay Harris. The men's basketball team also got a big win on Saturday in the Holmes Convocation Center, where they played the game of the year and beat Toledo 109-104 in double overtime. 
This was behind 24 points from Donovan Gregory and 50 points from the App State bench. Both the women's and men's team are back in action at the Holmes Convocation Center on Thursday. Women's game at noon and men's game at 6.30. Both games against Marshall. App State Wrestling also got a win this weekend, beating Chattanooga 28-13 after winning 7 of 10 matches. That will do it for your Mountaineer Minute when we get back. We take a look at the double overtime thriller we had in Boone on Saturday. Stick around on Sports Wrap. This program is sponsored by Eggers Law Firm, located on West King Street in downtown Boone. From business to traffic matters, the Eggers Law Firm has provided legal service to the high country since 1950. As fourth-generation Appalachian alumni, the Eggers Law Firm is here to assist you with legal help when you need it. The Eggers Law Firm, 737 West King Street. Appalachian State University's The Schaefer Center Presents series features Carmina Burana, Carl Orff's epic choral ode to love, drink, and living life to the fullest. Performed by Western Piedmont Symphony, Appalachian State University singers, and Appalachian Choral, February 10th at 7.30 p.m. Information at theschafercenter.org. Anna Bananas is a longtime supporter of WASU-FM, App State's college radio station. Anna Bananas Fine Consignment Store buys, sells, trades, and serves Boone from 641 West King Street. You can follow Anna Bananas on Instagram and Facebook. App State's New River Light and Power Green Power Program brings clean, climate-friendly energy to the high country. Renewable sources of energy replace carbon-based electric use, lowering our carbon footprint, and helping to protect the environment. The power is yours. Learn more about the Green Power Program today at nrlp.appstate.edu. If the Boone winter winds have you wishing for warmer weather, think about summer and taking a class or two. The summer session schedule of classes is available now at summersessions.appstate.edu. Talk to your advisor and plan for registration on April 1st. Appalachian State University's The Schaefer Center Presents series features dance company Urban Bush Women's Legacy Lineage Liberation, a program celebrating and amplifying the voices of women of color. February 16th at 7.30 p.m. in Boone. Information at 800-841-ARTS or theschafercenter.org. This is Kanye Roberts, running back for the App State Mountaineers, and you're listening to 90.5 WASU, the App FM. Thank you, Kanye Roberts. You're the man. We are back on Sports Rap, presented by Eggers, 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 and Eggers. Wanted a little bit more of that song. So, we had a massive game over the weekend that gave us extra action as it went to overtime, had star performances, made it incredibly easy to choose what to talk about first on the show, and I'm not talking about the Super Bowl App State men's basketball took on Toledo in some Mac versus Sunbelt action over the weekend, and it was a great one. We had a tight first half capped off by a capped off by a run from Toledo, and you know what? I hate the music. I hate the music. I was liking it. I was vibing with it. I was talking to the guys. I was like, maybe I'll, when I do this recap, I'll put a little music so you don't get tired of my voice. You're just going to have to get tired of my voice. <laughs> <laughs> the music doesn't work. We had, okay, we had a tight first half capped off by a run from Toledo and a last-second dunk to give the Rockets a one-point lead going into the half. Another great half of basketball in the second, and we find ourselves in a game where Toledo leads 90-81 to with two minutes to go. Then it is App State's turn to go on a run. The Mountaineers storm all the way back, finishing regulation on a 9-0 run. Miles Tate scores the final four points of the second half, and we head to overtime. OT is back and forth till Donovan Gregory is fouled and heads to the free throw line with three seconds to go. Tie game at 99. Gregory gets two shots and misses them both. We head to a second overtime. App State doesn't take the lead until about two minutes left in that second overtime, but it's all Mountaineers from that point on. Donovan Gregory able to shake off those missed free throws and get a big-time block and a huge bucket down the stretch of that second overtime. 
Justin Abson makes two clutch free throws, and the game gets wrapped up with App State getting a huge win and an absolute thriller, 109-104 to in double overtime at the Holmes Convocation Center. App State, it felt like a bit of an uncharacteristic game for them on Saturday. Final score, 109-104, to but the score even in regulation was 90-90. to We were in the 40s by halftime. Bobby, we'll start with you here. Were you more disappointed in the monster App State defense giving up so many points or more impressed that that sometimes icy offense was able to keep up and win? So I would say, looking at this game, this is more of a good example of the offense staying persistent and powering through it. You know, if there's any team you're going to get a slice of the action from, it's this Toledo team. They're top of the MAC in field goal percentage and top 25 in the country overall in that regard. Obviously, you never want a team to run up 90 points in regulation and 104 overall on them. But, you know, if any team's going to do this out of all the MAC teams, as you said, is this Toledo team. You know, this App State defense has been pretty inconsistent the last couple ta- games, especially against Texas State and things like that. And I think they definitely could have performed a little bit better on the defensive side of the ball. But I still like the way everybody performed. I think they were really able to stick together and play very consistently. I'm a little bit unhappy with maybe the play calling on offense. Everybody performed well, but I don't everybody was utilized the best. Like Donovan Gregory, he could have been involved a little bit more. And Spiller's got a lot of stuff like outside of the high post. It just, it, where like he can't really do much compared to his normal bag. So I think overall the offense played better. I would like to see some maybe different play calls, but I think overall the offense stuck through and I'm more impressed by them than the lackluster defense maybe. I would also say that I'm generally more impressed with this App State offense being able to keep up with Toledo. Um, It's uncharacteristic for App State to uh, at least on the defensive side of the ball, to give up 90 points in regulation. But if it was going to happen to any team they were going to play, especially in the MAC conference, it was going to be a team like Toledo. Mm-hmm. I mean, right now they're clearly the best offense in that conference. They're averaging around 80 points per game. They have the best field goal percentage as they're averaging shooting nearly 48% from the floor. And on top of that, they're the second best three-point shooting team as their team shoots 37% from three. And then from the free throw line, they're the second best free throw shooting team shooting 76% from the free throw line. So they've got a stacked offense as a team. And if anyone was going to do this to app, it would be a team like them. Um, On top of that, they've had some players that got hot in particular, Dante Maddox Jr. I mean, he put up some crazy shots and just hit threes where you almost wondered what App State really could do because they were right there, but he just got so high on his shot that they couldn't block it, and then they just kept going in. Um, But a lot of different players played well for Toledo to lead to them scoring that many points. But I was more impressed to see App State's offense play Toledo's game and still win because they were not playing the way App State wants to play tempo-wise at all. App State generally likes to slow it down. They like to be more deliberate. They have, throughout the year, they pushed the pace a lot more recently than they have in the past, um, and especially past years under Coach Kearns. Uh, but they have not played a game like this all year. They haven't played a game where they've just gone up and down the floor constantly, and that's just not really been them through the year. Um, I thought it was impressive just... All, all the, throughout the roster, whether it was Donovan Gregory having his best offensive game of the year, obviously outside of free throws where he uncharacteristically didn't really do that well from the free throw line. And you mentioned that earlier where at the end of the first overtime, you know, they, you missed the two free throws that could have won yeah. the game. Um, or it was Miles Tate making clutch plays, including an and one that sent the game to overtime. Or even someone like a Jordan Marsh who just made a bunch of plays throughout the game just using his speed, getting up and down the floor. I was just impressed to see how this offense looked playing a different style than what they're used to. And it gives me some confidence that if they have to do this, if they get to the NCAA tournament, that they can. Surprise, surprise. I'm agreeing with both of you. <laughs> I, I think that the offense definitely impressed me more than the defense, you know, disappointed me. And it's just because Toledo really is the most prolific offense in the MAC conference. I think some people might look at the MAC and be like, oh, MACTION, it's the crazy conference. But they have some really solid sports programs there, especially in basketball with Toledo. I really look at Toledo as one of the upper echelon Sunbelt teams. I look at them at the same level as I look at JMU. I look at Troy. So going into this game, I didn't expect us just to blow them out. I expected something close, and that's exactly what we got. 
looking at Toledo on offense, you've already said it, they're first in the conference in a multitude of different categories. They also have four players in the top 25 of all max scorers. So they were going to come out and score points regardless. And what I've liked to see the App State defense show up and play a little bit better, but with that kind of offense, I'm just so happy that we were able to go toe-to-toe with them the whole time other than just prevent it straight up. But So, yeah, I fully expected this to happen, and I'm definitely proud of the App State offense for keeping up. Yeah, Toledo, uh, great offense, top 40 in the country. So when you're talking about later in the season, like the teams that you could have to play, uh, that you know that's going to be kind of the offense that you're looking at. And this Toledo team that already has a very good offense night in, night out, Shot about 46% from three. And like Nick said, there are some shots where you're like, what are you, you going to do against, against that shot going in? Uh, but I, I agree. I was incredibly impressed by this offense. Just the fact that you got three guys from the bench scoring double digits in this game. That's how you get to that 50 points from the bench. Just shows some of that depth. Uh, a lot of it was C.J. Huntley, Jordan Marsh, and Miles Tate. Miles Tate had 20 off the bench, which is great. Uh, and App State actually shot better than they usually do from three. They shot almost 45% from beyond the arc. So this offense, if, I mean, if they can bring that pace and, and add that element to their game, uh, that's huge. Uh, we'll see if they decide to up the pace throughout the rest of the season. But I think it was fun to watch, but I, I think that game's going to be one that you look at and you're like, oh, how did that happen when well, you're talking about? I just want to add on to that, though. I mean, if we do pl- choose to play like that, I know we talked about this going into the year. We'd probably want to consider starting Miles Tate over Xavion Brown yeah. if we want to have that style. I mean, we, that's basically what ended, ended up happening, even though Miles Tate came off the bench. Yeah. He basically played all the minutes that both of them combined yeah, would play, is, but Xavion mm-hmm. in that kind of game wouldn't really be able to do that much. Yeah, yeah. to your point, like that's exactly what it kind of turned into. Brown pay, played five minutes, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. and Miles My, Tate played 33 minutes, which is more than a couple of the starters. So I think... We're leaning into that direction very much. We'll see if that ever like officially becomes what happens, um, but I think that's that's the direction that it should start to go. Miles Tate is very very good, um, and it's nice being able to have that depth off the bench. But mm-hmm. uh, like again, to your style, like if that's the style that you play, but we'll see. So there were a lot of ups and downs throughout the game. Toledo went on a huge run at the end of the first half. Uh, App State was down by a ton with two minutes left, but came back. Took that that big comeback, a lot of free throws to send it to overtime, which is uncharacteristic that they were even making those free throws, which was awesome. Then, of course, in overtime, as I said, could have been one at the charity stripe at the end. Gregory goes over two. We go to double OT. App State stayed the course and won the game in the second extra period of basketball. Nick, I'll start with you, and we'll go the same direction. How impressed were you by the resilience of App State in well, this game? I was impressed, but this really isn't new for this team whatsoever. Um, I mean, the App State, just throughout the whole year, they've been a tough basketball team. They haven't quit even when they've been down throughout several different games. I mean, they've already won two overtime games this year. They had a tough win at South Alabama. They had a win at Georgia Southern, where in other years or with other teams, they could have easily folded and took a loss when they shouldn't have. Um, They've had to tough out some of their close signature wins already against Auburn and at James Madison. Those were tight neck-and-neck games where you really had to just fight through it and get get that win in the clutch. And even in their losses, they didn't quit. They weren't in a position where they just got boat raced by someone and just didn't even fight back at all. Um, Like, just to bring a couple of examples, against Oregon State, they were down a lot late in that game, and they had a big comeback, and then they were able to force that game into overtime. Um, And then on top of that, like, against in the Troy game, they easily could have backed down when Muhammad just got red hot for Troy, and then for Troy, and they got to a position where it wasn't likely, but they still fought back and made it a close game by the end of it. Um, and the other losses too, like against UNC Asheville or like Northern Illinois, um, those games it was more just the offense never could get going, or even like a Texas State too. The offense just they weren't. It wasn't because they weren't fighting; they weren't trying to come back. It was just they couldn't get going. Um, even after like Josh Banks dropped thirty for at yeah. UNC Asheville in the first half, they were still fighting. Yeah to try to get back into that game. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was still impressive to see App come back from down nine with just over two minutes left. I mean, that's still something you don't see often, even though, even in uh, with a team like App. 
Um, and it was impressive also to see them come back and win the game after Donovan Gregory, arguably App's best free throw shooter, missed two free throws at the end of the first overtime. But this team, I feel like, has already proved that they're resilient. They've proved that they're tough. And that's one of this team's best traits. I think that summed it up perfectly right there. I, I, I'm with you there, Nick. I, I'm very impressed as well. You said a line in there that I really resonate with. It's like, App State teams in the past probably wouldn't have pulled this game off. And that's the case with multiple games this season. But this team's different. And even if you look at the loss to Texas State, it could have been just as easy to be in this shootout and just to fall short. But we didn't. This team's very different. And it makes me very impressed about the game itself. And then it makes me very hopeful about the next couple of games of the regular season going into the Sun Belt Tournament. Yeah, we're talking about upstate teams of the past or even just past games this year and how we don't know if they would have stuck it out. I don't know if there's a whole lot of teams in the NCAA, Power 5 or not, that can do that. You know, I've been watching college basketball. as one of the, It was probably the first sport I fell in love with. I've been watching it for years now, and I've not really seen a whole lot of teams be able to just stick it through and just put their head down. You know, as we mentioned before, down by 7 with a minute 30 and come back. Gregory missed those free throws. A lot of teams would be discouraged going into that second overtime. They stick through it, and as Ryan Hendricks would say, they never gave up. And that's what is really sticking through with this App State team, especially in the second half of this year, and I think it's really giving them some momentum going forward. Yeah, I agree. That's huge, and a lot of it, and I'm going to keep harping on it, a lot of it is that depth, just the fact that you have a couple guys on coming off the bench that had a plus-minus of double, double digits just about in the plus category. They can go on a run even when your best players are on the bench, and I think that's massive for the resilience and for just kind of igniting that spark. I think there are a lot of spark guys on this team, and that helps a lot in those kind of situations. So... Uh, this was a lot of discussion after the Georgia Southern loss, uh, with six games to go, beginning with a Marshall at home on Thursday, 6.30 p.m. We know the at-large bid is out for the Mountaineers. You pretty much have to win the conference, no matter what. Uh, that's the, those are the biggest games. But what do these final six games of the regular season mean for App? Kind of this final stretch before you go into conference play. Hunter, or I should say conference tournament play. Hunter, we'll start with you. I think you just got to focus on gaining momentum going into the tourney. You got to start doing the things right. You got to start playing good. <clears throat> so, all right, it's good, good basketball. Margin of error is extremely low, and you just can't let that pressure get to you. Knowing that fact, you just just start start keep doing what you're doing right, and just start gaining that momentum. That way, when you get to the tourney, you have a decent seed, and um, you can carry that throughout the whole thing. Um, just to even go off of what Hunter said, I think it's just it's just a little bit more than just getting momentum. I think that's important for this Mountaineer team. I think it's really important that they are able to get a first-round bye if they're serious about trying to make the NCAA tournament. Uh, four of the last five Sunbelt tournament champions had a double bye. It's kind of interesting. App was the exception in those last five Sunbelt tournaments. But getting that double bye and not having an extra game to play to get if you want to get to that conference tournament and win it, that is... A big deal. Um, the next two games, I think, in particular, are really big for App State. Um, like home against Marshall, and then especially the game Saturday against Louisiana. If they get past those two, I think they'll be top four relatively easily by the rest of the year. I think, especially if they get tiebreaker over Louisiana, because they're a team that could try to mess up with App with tiebreaker scenarios. Um, but I think that's probably going to be a, a big deal for them to just be able to get a double bye not ha- to have fresh legs throughout the whole sunbelt tournament um, i feel like that's important for app state yeah i think their toughest matchup they have for the entirety of the rest of the season is that louisiana game on saturday which me cody and david will be calling so make sure to tune into that but you know i think it's also the fact of being consistent because as app state team you know we beat Auburn, we beat teams like JMU and things like that, but then we lose to like quad four teams all of a sudden, and it's just, I think you just have to take it one game at a time. I think there's a lot of looking ahead, a lot of, oh, we have this in the bag going into some games. I think we really just need to start focusing more on each game individually and play it like it is the Auburn game. Play it like every, like, put everything into every game, because... We can kind of see what happens when we fall asleep at the wheel, and it's not pretty. So I really would like to see Dustin Kearns and this team really lock in during every game and finish out the season strong. 
Yeah, to your point, Bobby, we have some really nice wins on the schedule, but some really bad losses on the schedule. So a lot of it is building that consistency and having all those wins going into the tournament, the Sunbelt tournament. And then if, if you keep going, you have like a 10-game win streak, 10-plus game win streak going into NCAA. But got to get the job done first in the Sunbelt tournament. And you want to you wanna build that momentum. And then if you do end up winning the whole Sunbelt Conference championship, you want to have all those, all, the most wins you can under the belt for the seeding, getting that uh, by, like you mentioned. Nick, App State, they have a basketball doubleheader on Thursday with the women's team playing Marshall at noon and the men's team playing Marshall at 6.30 p.m. It's going to be a couple of great ones. If you can go to the women's game at noon and you don't, and then you go to the men's game at 6.30, you're not an App State basketball fan. Take the black and gold overalls off. So go to both of these games. Pack right. Holmes, and, baby. Yeah, Pack yeah. Holmes for both of them. They both deserve it. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, the other huge game from the weekend, the Super Bowl on Sports Wrap. This program is sponsored by Eggers Law Firm, located on West King Street in downtown Boone. From business to traffic matters, the Eggers Law Firm has provided legal service to the high country since 1950. As fourth-generation Appalachian alumni, the Eggers Law Firm is here to assist you with legal help when you need it. The Eggers Law Firm, 737 West King Street. Anna Bananas is a longtime supporter of WASU-FM, App State's college radio station. Anna Bananas Fine Consignment Store buys, sells, trades, and serves Boone from 641 West King Street. You can follow Anna Bananas on Instagram and Facebook. App State's new River Light and Power Green Power Program brings clean, climate-friendly energy to the high country. Renewable sources of energy replace carbon-based electric use, lowering our carbon footprint and helping to protect the environment. The power is yours. Learn more about the Green Power Program today at nrlp.appstate.edu. Appalachian State University's The Schaefer Center Presents series features Carmina Burana, Carl Orff's epic choral ode to love, drink, and living life to the fullest. Performed by Western Piedmont Symphony, Appalachian State University singers, and Appalachian Choral, February 10th at 7.30 p.m. Information at theschafercenter.org. Series features Coco, live to film concert, a complete screening of the Disney Pixar film accompanied by a live orchestra, the United States Air Force Band and Singing Sergeants, and Indigenous Enterprise, a Native American dance troupe. Information at 800 841 ARTS or theshafercenter.org. Want to join the WASU team? Get your business the recognition you deserve with underwriting at 90.5 WASU-FM. We play business as spots during our shows, music, and sports games as you cheer on your Mountaineers. Being the official campus radio station, we reach the App State student body like nobody else. If you're interested in getting your business out to WASU listeners, just contact us at sales.wasu at gmail.com. If the Boone winter winds have you wishing for warmer weather, think about summer and taking a class or two. The Summer Session schedule of classes is available now at summersessions.appstate.edu. Talk to your advisor and plan for registration on April 1st. Joey Aguilar, and you're listening to 90.5 WASU-FM. Welcome back to Sports Wrap, presented by Eggers, 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 and Eggers, attorney at law. I'm Cody Bear, joined by Nick Goodman, Hunter Boston, and Bobby Phillips. Last segment, we talked about a thriller on the mountain. Now let's talk about a thriller in the entertainment capital of the world, Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas. The 49ers, the one seed in the NFC, coming off of a couple of three-point wins against the Packers and Lions to get here. The Chiefs, who had a gauntlet of a postseason to get to this point, knocking off the Dolphins. And then the Bills and Ravens on the road. Plenty of celebrities in attendance, Jay-Z and Beyonce, all of the Kardashians, LeBron James, and of course, Taylor Swift, joined by Blake Lively, Ice Spice, and I think Lana Del Rey was there. In case you missed it, the Super Bowl 
get started by a 49ers drive into KC territory. Great carries by Christian McCaffrey, but then he fumbles it on the Chiefs 27. Chiefs get a get held to a three and out. We see three straight quick punts from KC and San Francisco. No points on the board after one. In the second quarter, the first punch lands. Jake Moody makes a 55-yard field goal, breaks the record for the longest field goal in Super Bowl history, but it won't last long. More on that later. The Chiefs need a big play after letting up the first points of the game, and they get one. Patrick Mahomes throws a 52-yard bomb to McCole Hardman to get within the 49ers' 10-yard line. We saw a fumble earlier, and we see another one here. Isaiah Pacheco fumbles on the 8, and the Niners recover. Travis Kelsey screaming at Andy Reid at this point. Keep me in the game, coach. Four and a half minutes left in the first half. Niners up by three. We get a trick play. Brock Purdy throws a lateral-type pass to wide receiver Jawan Jennings. But beware, he arrived to Tennessee as a quarterback in college. Jennings throws it back across the width of the field to Christian McCaffrey, and McCaffrey takes it to the end zone for the first touchdown of the game. Chiefs get the ball back and finish the first half with a field goal. Niners lead 10-3 going into halftime. Usher brings back nostalgia and turns the field into a roller skating rink during the halftime show. Alicia Keys, Lil John, and Ludacris all show up. Everyone is wearing sunglasses except for Usher. Back to the game. The Chiefs get it first, and Patrick Mahomes throws a pick. Not looking good for the Chiefs to start the second half. Defense still continues to rule the game until midway through the third quarter. Remember Jake Moody making the longest field goal in Super Bowl history like an hour ago? Longest field goal, no more. Harrison Bucker knocks one through the uprights from 57 yards. Now the longest field goal in Super Bowl history, 10-6 to six Chiefs. They're punting the ball, hits the back of the leg of Darrell Lutter. Uh, Chiefs recover. They have the ball on the 49ers 16, only takes one play for KC to take the lead, scoring a touchdown in the air. Going into the fourth quarter, the 49ers answer with a touchdown of their own. Jawan Jennings, remember him? He catches a 10-yard pass from Brock Purdy for six, but it will remain six. The extra point is blocked. Will it make a difference? The Chiefs go on a long drive, make a field goal six minutes to go to tie it up at 16. After going away from the run for a very long time, Shanahan gets back to it when San Francisco marches down the field. Less than two minutes to go. Chiefs only have two timeouts. It's third and four. In field goal range, a chance to just about win it for the Niners with a first down. Trent McDuffie runs in and gets a big hit on Purdy. Incomplete pass. Jake Moody kicks a 53-yard field goal, and the 49ers settle for three. Chiefs have it with a minute and 50 seconds, down by three. Way too much time for Patrick Mahomes. Remember the missed extra point? Big difference between needing a field goal and a touchdown. Chiefs get down to the Niners' 11-yard line. Ten seconds left. Going to take a shot at the end zone for Kelsey and complete. Chiefs kick a field goal, and we head to overtime. Rasheed Rice. Was open for the touchdown, but Patrick Mahomes tells him the low snap caused them to make the read. Yelling at each other. Niners fans feeling pretty good about them yelling at each other, but it's no biggie. Let's go. Overtime is about to start, and the 49ers win the coin flip, and they elect to receive in the first part of overtime. Was it a mistake? Christian McCaffrey with another great showing on the ground. They get it within the Chiefs' 10. Third and four, wide open Brandon Ayuk heading to the end zone, but Chris Jones goes completely unblocked and gets to Purdy to cause a throwaway. 49ers kick the field goal and give it back to the Chiefs. Mahomes and company down 22-19. Chiefs drive it all the way down the field. Mahomes gets a couple big runs, one on fourth down and one for 13 yards on third to get into the red zone. Just a couple of plays later, Mahomes finds McCole Hardman for the touchdown, and the Kansas City Chiefs win their third Super Bowl in five years. Patrick Mahomes wins his third Super Bowl MVP. So the Chiefs fought through a ton of adversity throughout the entire game, but still come out with the win. Bobby, what was the number one factor in the game for the Chiefs to come away with the win and another Super Bowl? Just give, just you cooked right there. Just yeah, to you, you kind of did. I was about to say that was that was kind of impressive. But yeah, to answer your question, Cody, I think. Mainly taking advantage during the second half, and specifically that third quarter. Me and Hunter were doing some research earlier, and I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Hunter, that the 49ers had three straight drives where they accumulated in total negative two yards. And then the Chiefs' defense played really well, obviously shutting them down and capping it off with that muffed kick return, shift the momentum a lot, and gave the offense and Mahomes a lot of chances to put some points on the board and really shift it their way. And I think the biggest turning point in the game was that third quarter and those big three and outs and the muffed kick return. I've got two words to describe what I think is the biggest factor for the Chiefs to win. Special teams. 
I feel like the Niners would have won this game in regulation without two special teams blunders that we've talked about. One of them, Bobby already alluded to earlier, which is the punt return team for the Niners late in the third quarter, having a huge error as Daryl Luter wasn't aware of the punt near him. He didn't hear Ray Ray Cloud calling Peter. And he couldn't then recover the ball. Um, McLeod couldn't. And then the Chiefs recovered it very next play. Mahomes found, finds Marquez Valdez-Scantling as open as you could ever be in the NFL in the end zone. Um, so that's seven points right there. That was a direct result of a muff punt that put him deep into 49ers territory. And then right after that, you know, the Niners went right down the field, had a really good drive, 12 plays, took six minutes off the clock, got a touchdown drive, and then... Jake Moody, as you brought up in your recap, uh, even though he had a really good game, having two 50-yard field goals, made every other kick, he had his extra point blocked, but that kick was also came out low. Mm-hmm. It, it came yeah. out low, which yeah. directly led to that block. And that those two big mistakes took eight points off the board. And in a game that went into overtime, a game that was neck and neck, I mean, that's, they were obviously critical in a game that was this close. And, you know, you can't afford to have mistakes like that in a game this big. So I wasn't preparing to say this, but you know why they call it special teams? Because it's the only time it's called football, according to my good friend Patrick Starr in the middle of the game. We were turning on the Nickelodeon broadcast okay. during the watch party. What is wrong with you guys? What are we doing? Why are we, tur- <laughs> why are we at a Super Bowl party and turning on Nickelodeon? Yeah, we had to I, check it out. Ridiculous. We had to check it I, out. Ridiculous. Plankton was attacking. I said it earlier. I tuned into that broadcast for like five seconds. They were introing both quarterbacks, and I said, there is no way I even watch this another second of yeah. this broadcast. Yeah. They, put, they put Larry the Lobster in the slot receiver position. I had yeah. seen what, enough. What are, what are we doing? Uh, so, yeah, I heard about the pl- – I was told that every time there's an injury is a plankton attack. Yeah. Is that true? I that, think so. I'm I I the only one who finds that a, a little a little bush league, a little yeah, yeah, I don't know about that, that one. Yeah. Now. We're just throwing out plankton attacks for people getting injured. Yeah, he was out there. He was in lives. his big robot flying around the stadium. Well, you know, Dora was the rules expert. Sandy was That's the sideline reporter. <laughs> it was a, it was a great time. I, mean, I, I had a blast watching it. I, yeah, I mean, I'm gonna be respect. honest. The broadcast team may have been may have been better. On yeah. Nickelodeon, you got Pat, Patrick, Patrick SpongeBob SquarePants. Door's a great rules expert. Yeah, yeah, I think Boots made a guest appearance as well. Yeah. Okay, so. I was I was listening to Gene and Tony disagree on rules. Yeah, yeah Dora yeah. there. Dora was Dora was locked in. She knew what was up. But yeah, back to you, Hunter. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, 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 what was yeah. the number one factor in the Chiefs? <laughs> For the first time in the 2023-24 season, a team ran over 20% cover zero, 40% cover one with over 60% of those play calls being in man-to-man. And that was the Kansas City Chiefs doing that against the San Francisco 49ers. The only team that got even close to those kind of numbers against the Niners was the Cleveland Browns in Week 6. The 49ers also lost that game. So my X Factor is Steve Spagnola. I think you got to look at him and how he went to this game. The game plan was perfect. And I believe it worked out to exactly how they were won. Christian McCaffrey, 3.6 yards carry. Debo Samuel, only 33 yards. And George Kittle, only Four yards. Yeah. And that's big for that Niners offense. And they moved the ball okay. I mean, they had the third quarter that Bobby already mentioned. But they scored points, and they were up for a good majority of that game. But when it came down to it, that Chiefs defense stepped up. They blitzed Purdy at the right moments. And he had guys right in front of his faces in the biggest moments of the game. And that's one of the big reasons why he wasn't able to make those throws. So they made it as hard as possible for the Niners to score, and that's my X factor. Yeah. Uh, Good research there. Bring yeah. in, bringing the, the plays, yeah, yeah. Uh, a conversation that was had after the game. There's never been an NFL assistant coach that's been inducted into the Hall of Fame. Should we see Spags be the first one? This is was his fourth Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah, his fourth Super Bowl as a defensive coordinator. It's been great. So he's yeah. he's Hooked good at what he does. Games. Yeah, bringing a lot of pressure. Stuck to that game plan and did it very very well. My number one factor. So that Brock Purdy's not elite. No, I'm just kidding. If you, if you listen to this show, especially like Hunter and I will go back and forth on that. Uh, Brock Purdy played really, really well. He did. I thought. Uh, but a lot of it was mistakes and things really just did not fall the Niners' way. There were seven technical fumbles in that game. Six of them were covered by the Chiefs. And then a lot of it was, kind of like Nick mentioned, mistakes on, on the Niners. So many Almost drive-ending penalties on the 49ers. We got 
a straight like false start followed by a holding. I think we got four false starts maybe by the Niners and a couple holdings. Yeah, and, there was a stretch yeah. where I believe Trent Williams had back-to-back penalties. Yeah, it was not a good look for him. Them. It was yeah. not a good look for the program so, for him. Rough, rough. Uh, and those those mistakes are killer. And then the the huge factor down the stretch is the guy we're about to talk about. Mahomes had two great drives, one with under two minutes to go to tie it up, and then another one to win the game in overtime. Nick, is Mahomes now the undisputed number two in the GOAT race in the NFL? Um, or maybe even maybe even number one. Okay, number one, he still has to win some more championships, I think, yeah. for that. And I wouldn't disagree with anyone saying he was number two. Right now, I probably would lean to him saying he's the second best. But it's not undisputed at all. I, I don't think there's you can't say that at this point. Um, I mean, if anyone wanted to argue about Joe Montana being there... You know, having four Super Bowls, you know, on his resume, having played for longer and having a bit more of a longer career being successful, even with the Niners or the Chiefs, even. Mm -hmm. Or if you wanted to bring up Peyton Manning, who still has five NFL MVPs, which is still a record. Um, If you wanted to bring them up, uh, I feel like there's still a debate there. I especially like if somehow Mahomes doesn't get any more like top accomplishments the rest of his year, which he probably will. Like if we're if we're yeah, being honest, but for sure, um, at least as of today, you still I still feel like Patrick Mahomes has to add a little bit more to his legacy before he can be the undisputed second best at least for now. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like he's right there, uh, but I feel like he still has to just do a little bit more. You know, I'd I'd never let recency bias cloud my judgment ever in my life, and I'm not going to let it do now. He's absolutely the number two quarterback yeah. of all time, especially yeah. number two quarterback of all time. The GOAT, the I'm second, the GOAT debate. So you might could talk me into maybe him being number one right now, but I will say this. He's not Tom Brady yet. He's got to win a lot more before he can be number one, but I think he solidifies his number two spot. I don't know how you can say otherwise, the guy on the other side of the table who's about to talk here in a little there, bit. But, Bobby doesn't like it. Yeah, Bobby doesn't like it, but he can, he can have his moment here in a little bit. But Mahomes is on another planet, and what he's doing right now is ridiculous. He's never not made an AFC championship as a starter. He's has three Super Bowls. He's made four. It's, it's ridiculous. If he, if he retired right now, he'd be a Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. And he's still he's only in year six. He's got plenty more time to go, and I'm not betting against him. Now, there is going to be a lot of factors that go into his success, like how far is Andy Reid going to go? How far is Travis Kelsey going to go? Can they sustain that level of play on the defense? Can they make the offense better? Can they make it worse? But I'm not betting against Patrick Mahomes to take that one spot. And I know Brady won two times, but... I, both of those have a little bit that you can might could dispute it, but yeah, absolutely, he's number two. So, Patrick Mahomes, you know, he's been playing great, obviously, his entire career. He's had a great trajectory, and he's done great. But there is no world where Bro is number two all time. You can make, you can maybe make the case for three with Peyton. That's a maybe with Peyton Manning. There's, but there's no way Bro passes Joe Montana, let alone Brady. Montana has one more Super Bowl than Mahomes. That's a little bit different. You know, Mahomes, he's probably going to get there. He also has two more MVPs, more passing yards, more passing touchdowns. It's just, you know, Mahomes, he's probably on that trajectory. I'm not saying Bro will never get there. We're we're, we're throwing out a lot of, like... Not longevity stats necessarily. Yeah, but yeah. like that's, that's, but yeah. but that's still a like factor. That. Yeah. That's yeah. still a fa- you can't say I mean, I somebody's better it. right now. You know, I think Mahomes is definitely on that trajectory. He's on that way, but as it stands today, on February thirteenth, twenty twenty four, he is not number two all time. It's just more time. Yeah, he's probably going to get there. I put money on him getting there. But if you say right now that he is number two as it stands today, that is just completely incorrect. I mean, has anyone been more dominant through the air and on the ground like how he is? He could get Josh Allen numbers year in, year out, rushing the ball, and still be the leading passer in the NFL. I, yeah, I but think like, his talent overall and his wins get him at number two. I just don't – I mean, I understand the argument. Yeah, but like, you know, like I throw this to basketball. Kevin Durant's one of the best scorers we've ever seen, one of the most elite players. He's won multiple championships, but nobody says he's number two, number one, or anything like that. Well, well besides well, himself. Hang on, hang on. That's a little different, though. I mean, wait. But like, it's just, you know, Mahomes, he's a great player, but I don't see him as number two right now. And I get that. I mean, he took 
literally the worst offense they've had since he started at Kansas City and beat the two number one seeds in the playoffs. He also beat the MVP that was on one of the one seeds. And he beat one of the best defenses of all time in the league, which was on one seed. My brain's going out right here. But who else did they beat the... Anyway, he he went through the (laughs) toughest gauntlet of all time to get to the Super Bowl. It's literally been proven over time that this was the toughest route to the Super Bowl of any quarterback that had ever been in the league, and he breezed through it without hardly anything. And the Bills. The Bills were one of the hottest teams in the league of all. Yeah, but there's like... Yeah, I was just gonna bring up too. I know you brought up Kevin Durant. And this, yeah, that wasn't necessarily the best I, I example. Gonna, it was just off the dome. I but. just, I know the first Super Bowl, Mahomes did win it with Tyree Kill, mm-hmm. but and I understand the argument if you want to say Montana's too. But Montana did throw to Jerry Rice for like almost his entire 49ers career for all the success he had. He threw to the best wide receiver that yeah, they but then I can throw flip it around. Rashid Rice. Yeah. yeah, but also he's played with. Probably one of the greatest tight ends of all time, and Travis Kelsey the entire time. And Kelsey didn't necessarily have the best game on Sunday night, but in general, yeah, he he had a really good second half. But that's also something like everybody has great players, and you know, I can spin it here and say, you know, the Chiefs they also have a great defense, and that was also a big reason that they have shut down some of these number one teams. You know, Lamar Jackson did not look like Lamar Jackson in that game against the Chiefs necessarily. Brock Purdy he was playing a pretty good game, but going into that final stretch, he was really shut down by a lot of Chiefs defensive plays so it's not and I know it's a team win I'm not saying oh a quarterback has to go in while the other team puts up 49 points on them I'm not going to say that but you know I it's just I don't know you everybody's played with great players it's just I don't know I just don't think right now Mahomes gets to that spot also, I want to save my take from earlier Mahomes had to go through one of the best offenses of all time statistically one of the hottest teams in the NFL this year in the Buffalo Bills, and then the two number one seeds to get to a Super Bowl, including the MVP of the league. But also almost losing to a Bills team that had their, uh, like half their secondary out that entire game. With the Bills, though? Yeah. I think by Mahomes' guy we're going to be talking about a lot like we talk about Michael Jordan right now and the fact that like he's the reason Josh Allen isn't going to get a ring. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I, I know Josh Allen has plenty of time to do that, but I really do think, I think that window, at least him with Sean McDermott, is shut now. And I think that's mostly because of Patrick Mahomes. And I think that goes a far way. I, I definitely think majority of people, by the time Mahomes retires, is going to be calling him the greatest of oh, all yeah. time. And I'll put that investment in him now. I'll, I'll say he's my number two. He, in, in those two drives, man, he just gives you that kind of confidence that they're going to score. Mm-hmm. A minute 50 left, two timeouts. Like, even before that, even before the play, uh, on third and fourth, I'm saying, you get a stop, we're going to overtime. If if the Niners don't get the first down, we're going to overtime. Even if the Niners get the first down and you leave, what would it be, like 25 seconds, we might still be going to overtime. Mahomes just gives me that kind of confidence. And then as soon as the Niners kick the field goal, I mean, it's just mm-hmm. a confidence like I've never seen before, and I know that when we talk about like Joe Montana and guys, I've, I've never watched them play like full games live, obviously. But it's just a certain confidence that every single time Mahomes is going to make the right play. And in the biggest moments, he's there. He's been fantastic. The big thing right now, obviously, when we talk about long term, is he's going to have to do a lot to overcome Brady beating him twice. That's the big thing we're going to look at. Like Mahomes, honestly probably would have had would have five Super Bowls in his six years, if not for Tom Brady. And that's something he's going to have to overcome to become number one, but he might be my number two. I was going to add, too, like, if Mahomes, I mean, it wasn't all his fault in the Super Bowl they played. If Mahomes yeah. had won that Super Bowl mm-hmm. against Brady, I feel like I would be saying he's going to be the GOAT by the end of his career, like, yeah. without a doubt. Without yeah. a shadow of a doubt, but... That's, I think, the big thing holding him back is not only did he lose a ring from that, but Brady directly got a ring yeah. from beating him in the championship. Yeah, and the Chiefs, they're just, they're just a team that you, you're going to, even in the playoffs, even after bad regular seasons, you're going to be saying who's got the better quarterback in every game, and it's going to be him. I think that's going to help a lot. I think he obviously like has stopped Josh Allen so many times. It's going to become the same with Lamar. We'll see. We'll see. Obviously, plenty of career to go, but... He's, he's something else. So looking at the other team here. The 49ers won the coin toss going into overtime, elected to get the ball start to start overtime. 
which was strange because now you're letting the opponent know the situation on offense. A couple of players on the Niners said that they didn't know the new overtime rules going into it, while the Chiefs said they were practicing them throughout the playoff period. Kyle Shanahan said he wanted the third possession in case it was tied after two. Hunter, was the 49ers' decision to receive the ball at the beginning of overtime a mistake? I think it was, and it's so easy to say it now that it was a mistake because if they would have won on that third drive, it would have been, oh, this is that was the best decision of all time. But, of course, it didn't work out that way. So looking at, at it, how it did work out, I think it was. It played exactly into what the Chiefs wanted. It basically put them in the driver's seat to drive themselves to another championship. And that's exactly what happened. I feel like the best decision in that situation was to let the other team to go first to see what you have to do on that next drive. Because it just heightens everything you do on that next offensive drive. And honestly, the best evidence that it was the wrong decision was what happened. Because the Chiefs, they knew they needed to get three the tie, seven the win. And of course, they were going for it, I think, believe, regardless. Because they did not want to give it back to the Niners. They went for it on fourth down. And they got it. And yeah, they won the game. This is actually something I want to bring up before I answer this question. You know, both, both me and Bobby went to the same uh, watch party for the Super yeah. Bowl, and right when this happened, right when we saw the 49ers make the decision both to of us. defer it, we were both like, are we sure that that's the right decision? And there are witnesses in this room that can back that up. See, I feel like... I'm I'm kind of surprised there weren't more. Like I feel like I, I was saying the same thing when yeah. they elected to receive yeah. first. And there were other people that's, in our in the room that were like, "No, that was the right choice." But I still I don't think out them air yeah. their names. No, yeah, no, I don't, don't do that. Don't yeah, do that. Yeah, yeah, maybe not air them out. <laughs> yeah, but I say like. I, I, if I were them, I would have deferred um, just yeah. to see, just because I think it's important in this kind of scenario where you can't win the game off of the first drive to see what you need mm-hmm. um, on the second drive. That way, if the Chiefs scored a touchdown, there would never be a, a position where the 49ers on fourth down in like, what was it, fourth and three, fourth and four, mm-hmm. they wouldn't have just settled for a field goal there. They would have known, okay, we have to go for it. Uh, or even on the case of the Chiefs drive, again, this is hypothetical, if they were, if it was like fourth and one deep in their own territory, who knows? Maybe they feel like they have to punt it because if they don't get it, then they basically get in a position where they could easily just lose the game off of a kick. Um, and most teams in college I've seen lean to treat it this way. Um, they they like to defer it. Um, and it's similar rule set except obviously college teams start at the 25. So it's even more of a risk where if you receive it and then you like miss a kick or mess up, then the other team could just line up for a field goal. Um but that's probably what that's what I would have done. Um, I feel like it's more troubling though on top of that just to hear after the game how 49ers players don't didn't know the playoff overtime rules. Like I almost yeah. wonder like how does that happen? How do you get in a position where you're in the Super Bowl and you find out the rules from the jumbotron in the game? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's rough, and and it makes it even worse that the Chiefs players are saying they had the conversation in camp before the season even started, mm-hmm. and then they talked about it and practiced it every week in the playoffs. And then they practiced it twice going into the Super Bowl. The Chiefs were obviously more prepared. <laughs> yeah, I, you, kind of what everybody was already saying. I think, you know, with if you select to receive it, you're kind of playing in the dark. You don't really know what you're working with. You don't really know what you have to do. Like Nick said, you don't know if you should go for it in that fourth and one scenario. You don't know if you should settle for the field goal and things like that. And I think, you know, kicking it off and deferring it to the other team was the right decision because... Then you at least know what you're trying to do. I feel like, you know, on offense, of course, always the goal is a touchdown. And, you know, if you're on the opening drive, you do want a touchdown. But it gives you the right knowledge of how much do I want to risk it? How much should I risk on this down? Should I go for it on fourth? Or can I sell for the field goal, as I just said? And I think, you know, it just would have been a better opportunity to give it to the other team and then know what the score you need to get instead of just give taking the ball and then letting Kansas City cook and know exactly what they need. Yeah, I think it's very, very interesting, the decision. A couple of things that were talked about, Tony Romo mentioned it, maybe your defense is tired and you want to give them a rest, but it's like, you know, it was a two-minute possession. Uh, the offense for the Chiefs probably just as tired. Uh, so I, I, I don't really buy that as much. And then getting the third possession, I understand that, but the Chiefs have already said, and we're in a certain era of the game right now, where it's almost predicted that if the Niners score a touchdown and the Chiefs get it back and score a touchdown, they're going for two. Especially with the certain guy at quarterback for Kansas City, they're going for two. 
in that situation. So there, there wasn't going to be a third possession either way. And maybe you want to bait him into that. Maybe you have a defense that you're very confident in that situation. I don't know. But I think that's very interesting. And something that I think is even more interesting is Kansas City had it second possession, fourth and one at the Kansas City 34. If they have it the first possession, are they going for that? Maybe, just because, again, you really trust your offense and Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes in this situation. But if you get the ball first and it's fourth down at the, K, at the KC 34 and you don't get it, the Niners win the Super Bowl, most likely. The, they're in field goal range automatically. So maybe they don't even go for it and the Niners have a chance to win. They wouldn't be in that situation. The game is totally different at that point. But it is straight to the point of the, the Chiefs knew the situation and knew that they had to go for it on fourth down. If they're in their own territory and they have the ball first, they may not do that. So I, I'm 100% on that that was the wrong decision. Uh, so Kyle Shanahan's now lost in three Super Bowls, once as an offense coordinator with the Falcons and twice as a head coach with the 49ers. In all three of those games, his team had a 10-point or more lead and lost all of them. Does this game change the way you see Kyle Shanahan? Bobby, we'll start with you. Yeah, obviously Shanahan's in a little bit of the hot seat, you know, choking leads, questionable plays sometimes down the stretch. But you can't count these losses of 100% on him. We were talking about a little bit earlier during the segment, you know, there were some mistakes just made by the players, like fumbles. You can't really coach. Well, obviously you can run practices and things like that. But once a fumble happens, that's kind of out of your control as head coach. The muffed kick return, that's a big one. Nobody was really expecting that and things like that. And obviously you want to – and Greenlaw going down. I yeah. think that's something we've oh not mentioned goodness. yet. Greenlaw went down with a Huge. terrible injury, and it's just really unfortunate that had happened. And, you know, you can always improve, and there's things that I feel like he could have done better. He could play the offense a little bit more risk-reward type way. But I just – I don't know. I don't think, you know, he's this terrible head coach or he's – he can't win or things like that. You know, I think getting to the Super Bowl, that still takes a lot of effort and a lot of talent to get even in that position. So, you know, obviously things haven't really fallen his way. Maybe some decisions weren't the best. But I still overall think Kyle Shanahan is still a pretty good coach. And I still think he has opportunity to win going into the future. Yeah, the way this game went, it didn't really change the way I viewed Kyle Shanahan. It more just reaffirmed how I felt about him. I mean, I just I feel like he's a cursed coach. Whether it's the blown leads we talked about in the first Super Bowl he was in as an offensive coordinator, he was part of the twenty-eight to three with the Falcons. Whether it was the ten-point leads in the Super Bowl, there was a ten-point lead in an NFC Championship game that he blew back in twenty twenty-one against the Rams, or we kind of alluded to it a little bit with like Greenlaw getting hurt in the Super Bowl and stuff like that. But even just throughout his whole coaching career with the Niners he's some years he just has had terrible injury luck I just feel like you know he's a really good offensive coach he's a fantastic offensive coach but until the team that he coaches finishes his job I just have a feeling like they're gonna find a way to blow it whether it's things that are in his control what like not making sure his team is being hammered the playoff overtime rules when you're in the Super Bowl or it's not his fault where players get injured for things as crazy as just running on the field. Um, either way, I just feel like he's a really good coach, but he's going to be cursed until he wins one. That's exactly right. I'll answer this question with this right here. So I have two head coaches. <clears throat> two of them. I have head coach A, three straight NFC championship losses, a Super Bowl loss, all in the span of four years. Then I have head coach B. Two Super Bowl losses, two NFC Championship losses, all in the span of five years. The head coaches, Coach A is Andy Reid, and Coach B is Kyle Shanahan. Some similarities between the two of those, I would say. Now, I would also say now for Andy Reid, three Super Bowls now in the last couple of years, one of the best teams of all time. So I think you just got to trust the process if you're Kyle Shanahan. It really didn't change much how I think about him. You're right, he might be just be the cursed coach, but... Andy Reid was also the coach that could never win the big game. And eventually, he got Patrick Mahomes, and he started winning the big games. So, I think you just got to trust the process and keep trucking forward. I was just going to say, though, like Andy Reid, he actually used to be the cursed coach, though, in Philly. I mean, yeah. some of the, it's kind of crazy position. that none of those teams with Donovan McNabb won anything. Yeah. Cook, my kind friend. Yeah, Hunter, you yeah. kind of popped off right there. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think that's huge to look at. I was saying going, I mean, I was... The, during a lot of our Brock Purdy discussions, I was just 
raving about Kyle Shanahan. I was calling him the best coach in the league. And it sucks because, like, as far as we're looking at a lot of the play calls and a lot of the drawn-up plays, great showing for Kyle Shanahan. But run the dang ball in the third quarter, man. Yeah. Third quarter of the Super Bowl. Keep that thing on, on the ground. You got that lead. Don't, don't shy away from it, especially with how well they were running throughout that game. So that, that hurts. But he's got plenty of time, plenty to do. He got a going into next season a third year quarterback who has proven himself as obviously the starter for the next few years. Um, and this team's young, uh, young enough at least. Uh, they, the window's still open for the next couple of years, and he'll get it back on track. Just got to keep trucking. Yeah. All right, that will take us to the end of this show. Sports Wrap presented by Eggers, 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 and Eggers. We are going to give our shout-outs to end the show. So, yeah, big shout-out to friends and family listening at home. I know they're listening. Uh, Big shout-out to my parents. They're coming up this weekend to watch me broadcast the game with David and Cody this weekend. And I guess for my sports shout-out, big shout-out to Jason Tatum. One assist away from a triple-double against the Heat. He's elite. All right, just shout-out friends and family who are listening. And I also want to shout-out the Holmes Convocation Center crowd. Even though there's been other games where we've had more, in the Toledo game we had over 5,000. It feels like we've had more people show up to basketball games than ever, so I'll give a shout-out to them. Pack Holmes, baby. That's right. Uh, Shout-out to my family back home. My sports shout-out, J.J. Watt. I think we've all changed our haircuts every now and then and maybe got flamed for it, and that's exactly what happened to J.J. Watt. He said, do you ever switch up your hair and wonder if anyone will notice? They notice. 3,000, um, 8,000 retweets, over 180 likes and 60 million impressions. I think people noticed. (laughs) Shout-out everyone tuning in. Shout-out to you. For tuning in and then shout out Caitlin Clark. I didn't have the patience to wait until my next time on Sports Wrap. She's eight points away from the all time points record in women's college basketball. She's passing that thing on Thursday. No Sports Wrap on Thursday because of men's basketball game at Holmes Convocation Center. We'll have it right here against Marshall at 6 30, 90.5 WASU FM. We're also we got a women's game noon on Thursday. Go to the women's game and then go to the men's game at 6.30. Pack Holmes. We'll see you there. That'll do it for this episode of Sports Wrap. We'll be back Tuesday. Nothing happening Tuesday, right? I don't Tuesday think so. at 6 p.m. next week on Sports Wrap, presented by Eggers, 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 and Eggers. For Bobby Phillips, Nick Goodman, and Hunter Boston, I'm Cody Bear, sending you back to your regularly scheduled programming. Bye-bye.